everybody. Welcome back to the Blackware Intelligence Podcast. Hope you're all doing well. Before we get into the show, let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor, FTX US. FTX US, one of the largest crypto companies in the United States, is the safest, most regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other digital assets. With FTX, you can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than top competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. FTX has also recently announced their stocks beta rolling out to U.S. customers to enable crypto, stocks, and NFT trading in one interface. This includes hundreds of U.S. exchange-listed securities, including common stocks and ETFs, and an integrated experience within the existing FTX U.S. cryptocurrency trading application. Use promo code BLOCKWARE1 or go to ftx.blockwareintelligence.com to earn free crypto on every trade over $10. Again, that's Blockware one or go to ftx.blockwareintelligence.com to get started today. Now let's get into the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. This week I have Trey Sellers from Unchained Capital on. Trey, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah. Glad to have you. Um, so yeah, let's just jump right into it. So I'm curious, like, you know, tell us a little bit, a little bit about, you know, how you originally got into Bitcoin, why you started working in the space and what you do at Unchained Capital. Yeah, I, um, I first heard about Bitcoin back in 2011. Um, I came at things from the libertarian side uh, of this whole equation. And uh, back then, that's kind of all, all it was really, right? Like this libertarian money uh, for a libertarian world. I didn't really understand it, uh, didn't really dig too much into it, but it kind of kept coming up. Uh, 2014 came around and Coinbase had made it like much easier to buy. And so my first purchase was on Coinbase in, in 2014, um, bought a little bit you know, over the, the next few months there and then kind of just forgot about it. Every once in a while, I'd come back and be kind of reinvigorated in terms of an intellectual curiosity. Uh, but never really like dove deep and went down the rabbit hole, so to speak, right? And never really, never really got it. Never really internalized with me as to like what the importance of this thing is and why I should spend some time really understanding it, right? It was like, oh, I'll just throw some money at this. It's a flyer. It sounds kind of interesting, but you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, that interest was kind of you know reinvigorated around the 2016, 2017 pump, as it was for a lot of people, right? Um, prices pumping. People are getting excited. It's in the news. Um, I remember showing the price to my wife, uh, you know, after I had seen it surpass the price of gold, right? And it's like, wow, this thing is is kind of crazy. Like, what's going on here? Um, continued to to dig into it, but still don't get it, right? It's like, as everybody has, I think, a very similar story. It takes multiple touch points to to kind of understand why this thing is valuable and why you should care about it. Um, Wrote it all the way up, wrote it all the way down in 2018. Um, and finally, I think, found the right resources, found the right people, and, um, and started digging in a little further. Started learning about holding my own keys, started learning about running a node, um, and started buying uh, again, right? Just, just dollar cost averaging, uh, buying a little bit here and there, and, um, and, and you know, really thinking about this more of like, okay, this is something that I'm starting to understand better. I'm starting to get the value prop. I should definitely start like allocating to this a little bit more, more heavily and more uh, forcefully. And um, around, uh, call it 2019 um, timeframe, late 2019, um, 
I was like deep down the rabbit hole. Um, I was working at a bank. Um, my background is in banking, finance, capital markets, technology consulting, like pretty broad experience across all those uh, industries. And I was sitting on a, a trading floor um, doing risk and PL uh, for, for the capital markets trading guys. And, um, but just really like obsessing over Bitcoin, like just really digging into it. Right. Um, and then, you know, the thought crossed my mind, like people are going to start asking questions about this, um, especially as we head into 2020 and 2021, like the halvings coming up, right. Um, Bitcoin's going to start pumping and people are going to want to know about what this thing is. Uh, so I should be the guy who is there to answer the questions, right? So I put together this deck called Bitcoin for Bankers, um, started making my way around um, that organization, presenting to different groups of people, um, which led to some executive leadership teams, which led to a crypto working group as the Bitcoin SME. Um, and you know, by that time, it's like the price is pumping, everybody's excited about it, everybody's wanting to learn, uh, and it really just kind of snowballed from there. Um, and so from, from that standpoint, I'm like, well, maybe there's something out there for me, right? Like maybe I can make a move out of the traditional finance world, out of this like fiat world and into Bitcoin. Uh, probably nothing will come of it, but, um, you know, I started digging in a little bit there. One thing led to another and I found myself in the office, uh, in, in Austin at the unchained office, talking to Parker, uh, talking to the, the other guys there. And, um, you know, before I knew it, I'm like working at a Bitcoin company, having the best time of my life. Um, this, this company is great. I love it. Um, wake up every day, invigorated, excited to uh, orange pill the world, right? And help people hold their own keys. Uh, it's really, it's really great. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great background. It's, you know, Unchained, I think has a great mission of, you know, empowering individuals and helping them hold their own private keys. Quick question, like given what's going on with, you know, Celsius, BlockFi and other potentially insolvent crypto crypto yield companies and even exchanges like Coinbase with, with the, you know, that, you know, filing that came out about them. How has that highlighted the importance of holding your own Bitcoin private keys? Yeah, um, when, when these types of events happen, um, you know, we, we definitely see a bump of people coming to us and finally realizing how important it is that they start taking control of their of their Bitcoin. Um, I mean, it really just comes down to this, right? Like, if you are not holding your own keys, you do not own Bitcoin. You have at best an IOU. Um, you're an unsecured creditor, right? This the last few weeks, the last few months, really have made that abundantly clear to anybody who has not been holding their own keys that they are subject to insolvency, right? They are subject to freezing of funds if you turn out to have the wrong political opinion or honk your horn too loud, right? You do not own Bitcoin unless you hold your own keys. It's not that hard, right? Like we're here to help people do that. We're here to, to guide people and we can talk about, you know, exactly what Unchained does on a day-to-day -day basis and, and, you know, how, how that process works. But um, it, it is, it's so important for people to start realizing that their wealth is not secure when they're trusting somebody else, that you're making a huge step up in security by holding your own keys. Um, it is not something that should be shied away from. Um, it's something that should be approached with um, 
you know, the, the confidence to move ahead and make sure that you're controlling your own wealth. Um, that that's really why we're here is to, is to help provide a support mechanism for people as they're coming onto our platform and, and support going forward. Um, but you know, that that's really the, the main thing there, right? Like you do not own Bitcoin if you're not holding your own keys, um, end of story. And, and, and the sooner people realize that, right. The, the sooner that we can stop seeing so many people who are new to the space, who are led astray by promises of yield and all this other um, crap that's out there, um, which leads them to lose a lot of money, right? Which leads to a lot of heartache. Um, and, and when people are holding keys and when people understand the importance of doing that, we start taking power away from the fiat world, right? We start moving toward a world where people have self-sovereignty, where they are able to control their destiny in terms of their finances, where they can't be censored. Um, people start to get the benefit uh, of Bitcoin as it's promised in terms of being uncensorable um, and, and having that true hard cap of 21 million, right? If you're not um, letting somebody else hold your Bitcoin, they can't lend it out and rehypothecate it and put it at risk and essentially create extra Bitcoin above and beyond that base 21 million. Um, so the sooner that we get to that place, the better off the world is going to be. The sooner we can usher in that the, the promise of what Bitcoin holds for the future. Yeah, absolutely. I always like to say that Bitcoin has like two unique characteristics. One has no counterparty risk. Like if you hold your own keys, you don't have to trust anybody else. And two, it has no dilution risk. If you hold your own keys and run your own node, you can verify that, hey, I have X out of 21 million and there can never be 21 million more. Yeah, it, it kind of all comes down to counterparty risk, right? Like that dilution risk is counterparty risk. Your counterparty in that standpoint is um, the, the US government, um, the people running the dollar, like the government and the banks and whatever, right? When they're printing money, you, that counterparty who you're trusting with that liability to you to not be eroded of value is being eroded of value, right? Um, but there's another option, right? You can just opt out. You can upgrade your money from dollars to Bitcoin and you don't have to worry about that, right? You don't have to worry about the inflation numbers. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You have the absolute assurance of 21 million and the percentage of that, um, of that supply from here into perpetuity. There is no getting around that. And you can verify it for yourself, right? Like you should be running a node if you're able to do that. Like this is a great learning opportunity so that you can make sure that you are verifying that that supply cap is, is in place, um, that you're verifying that the, the Bitcoin that you're um, receiving is actually real Bitcoin that you'll be able to spend in the future. Um, all of this is available to people. It's really not that hard. Um, you know, you just have to kind of understand that it's available and then do a little bit of work to, to figure out how to make it, make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. So holding your own private keys sounds pretty important to me. Um, what exactly does that even mean? And like, is it a difficult process for someone who may be more tech illiterate? Uh, so holding your own keys is essentially um, just protecting secret information, right? This is a, a really big random number uh, that is a private key that generates public keys, that generates addresses. But the key point is that you're just um, keeping the secret information away from other people 
um, and available to only you so that you are the only person who can spend that Bitcoin. All Bitcoin is always tied to an address that's controlled by private keys. You can control an address with a single private key, or you can do it uh, with multiple private keys. That's what we help people to do. Our platform is built to make uh, what's called multi-signature, where you have multiple keys protecting the Bitcoin. You need a quorum of those keys to move the Bitcoin out of that Bitcoin address. Um, and we, we make that really easy and accessible for people on our platform. And we provide a support mechanism, right? Like that's ultimately what we're doing at the core of our business is we, we help people to understand how to use private keys. Um, we help them understand how to think about their operational security around that. And we're there for them when they have questions about this, when they need support into the future, whether that's an inheritance um, type of scenario, uh, whether that is... Um, one of their keys that they're controlling is compromised in some way, right? We're, we're there to help them recover from that, uh, that situation. So they don't feel like they're out on an island doing it themselves. Um, they, they don't have any single point of failure. They don't have any counterparty risk. Uh, this collaborative custody model allows for all of that, you know, true, true to form to Bitcoin's, um, you know, native way of working, right? We're using native functionality that is built into the Bitcoin protocol um, that is just part of it. And we're leveraging that to provide this really great experience for our clients so that they can hold their Bitcoin in the best possible way. Um, eliminating that single point of failure, eliminating that counterparty risk and having full control over, over the Bitcoin that they're holding immaterial amounts for the long term, right? Um, you know, you you want to make sure that the Bitcoin that you hold, that that finite supply of that finite supply that can never be bailed out, right? Like if you lose your Bitcoin, there's nobody coming to bail you out. Um, it is 21 million or bust. And you need to make sure that when you are holding that Bitcoin, you're doing so in the best possible way with the highest level of security, with the, with the highest level of resiliency so that you can't just make one mistake uh, and, and lose your Bitcoin. I don't mean to to make that sound scary. It's not right. Like we are here to to help do that. That's what our business is about: making it accessible for people and being that support mechanism when they need help doing that. Um, and and you know our clients are extremely grateful for the amount of time that we spend with them to make sure that they get to that place that's really comfortable, that's really confident um, in in the way everything is working, and that they know how to get support on into the future. Um, and then from there, we're able to provide some other financial services that are hugely valuable as well. Awesome. Yeah, no, I think Bitcoin demands extreme ownership. And I think when individuals Absolutely. demand extreme ownership, you know, society as a whole, you know, has more of a solid foundation to build off of. Um, but that's awesome. So I've, I'm curious, why does Unchained Capital specifically, why do you guys focus like only on Bitcoin when a lot of like other companies like Coinbase, BlockFi, larger companies made, you know, focus on a ton of different cryptos. Yeah. Um, Bitcoin is, is the best money that the world has ever seen. Um, it's probably the best money that the world will ever see, in my opinion, right? What that means is that as it becomes a global reserve currency, as it becomes a global reserve asset, um, as it becomes the global money, it's going to have a huge impact on the way that everybody lives their lives, right? Um, fix the money, fix the world is the, is the, the quote there, right? Um, we truly believe that. And so 
having a focused effort on the thing that's going to make the biggest impact is the way that we choose to spend our days, right? Like you can, you can split your attention in multiple different directions, but if you have focused effort on the biggest impact things, you're going to change the world in a way that is, is, um, the way that you want to see it. Right. Um, if there is other value in some of these other things, I personally don't really think so. Um, great. Like let other people deal with that. Um, you know, for Bitcoin, that is truly finite, that you need to be taking the best possible care of it. You wouldn't want us focusing on all this other stuff anyway, right? Like you want our attention helping you in this collaborative custody model solely focused on that finite fixed supply asset that cannot be bailed out um, to provide the best possible experience for you, to make this easy for you, to make it accessible for you, um, and to be, um, you know, taking... Um, the, the, the best possible approach to helping people secure that, that extreme ownership of that asset, right? Um, so you wouldn't want our attention spread elsewhere anyway. And, and, and that's really it. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, you know, Bitcoin is, you know, far from perfect, but it's by far the best that we have. And I think, you know, economic systems and humans converge on, on one money and that one money is objectively Bitcoin. You know, it's the most immutably scarce, the most divisible, portable, durable, fungible. So it has all these unique properties and, and it's obviously objectively the best compared to all of the other cryptos or, or physical objects like gold as well. Yeah, Here's absolutely. Here. And, and just, you know, like look around you. Um, all of these companies that are kind of in the process of blowing up are... Um, let's just say not focused on Bitcoin, right? They're not focused on the highest impact um, asset and monetary network that's out there. They're, they, they kind of lean a little bit that direction and they're spread across all this other stuff that may or may not have value five years from now. Um, so again, like let, let's, let's focus on the best money the world has ever seen, exactly like, like you're saying. Let's make the world the way that we want to see it because when you fix the money, you do fix the world, right? When you change the incentive structure that's out there for people because of the way that they're able to save and protect their wealth and take control of it in a sovereign manner, you do change the way that the financial system is structured um, such, that, such that your food supplies get better, right? Such that there's less volatility, such that people have more savings when they're going into any kind of financial hardship uh, or natural disaster or something like that. The, the system is so fragile right now because the money is broken, right? Any little bit of stress that comes uh, to, to the economy immediately starts creating like cascading liquidations and a debt spiral that ultimately needs to be bailed out. Like let's move away from that, right? Let's focus on the best money the world has ever seen, move it forward and get to that place where we don't have to deal with any of that crap anymore. Yeah, no, for sure. I think I like uh, Jeff Booth's quote where he he says that when there's scarcity in money, money there's abundance in the world. But when there's abundance in money, there's scarcity in the world, and that's kind of what we've been seeing recently. It's exactly what we're seeing, right? Like this this system is built to debase the money. It has to work that way. It's credit based. Um, it's all debt all the way down, right? Let's move away from debt. 
Let's move toward equity. Let's have people have actual skin in the game when they're building their businesses, when they're building their their homes and their families, right? Let's let's get back to an incentive structure that values a low time preference that leads toward capital accumulation and not long-term capital destruction. Yep. Curious to hear your thoughts on, on this one. So, you know, I think many Bitcoin critics are now saying that Bitcoin clearly failed as an inflation hedge, given that CPI is now at record highs. Everyone's hurting when they go to the grocery store, they go fill up their gas pump. Um, but but Bitcoin is significantly down off its all-time highs. Like, what would be your your counter argument to that? Yeah, um, there, there's a lot of different views of what inflation is, um, how should it be calculated, um, what time frame should you be looking at. Uh, I think a better way or the best way to look at this is that you know Bitcoin is a hedge on monetary policy. It's a hedge on money printing, which is kind of the classical definition of, inf of inflation. Um, and, you know, if you go back to the depths of March, 2020, when, you know, correlations go to one because there's, a, you know, one of these cascading liquidations happening, right? Like a, a, a margin call across the world uh, uh, and, and a scraping for dollars. Um, what that's met with by central banks, what that's met with by governments is massive amounts of money printing. And sure enough, assets like Bitcoin, even like stocks react to that, right? Because stocks are used as like near money. They're, they're store of value assets. Real estate is used as store of value assets because the actual money is just eroding in value, right? And so you can see that over the long term, as um, the, the base money is expanding, as M2 is expanding, as central banks around the world are constantly um, you know, debasing that currency, as governments around the world are implementing UBI, Bitcoin is going to continue to go up, right? There's 21 million. That there, there's, there's no such thing really as like general inflation in a Bitcoin world anymore, right? Like you're, you're actively hedging inflation by the fact that you're kind of opting out of it. Um, when you buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin can't be inflated in the classical sense. So over time, the value of it must go up, especially when denominated in failing fiat, right? Um, but when you start comparing it to the capital stock of the world, to assets that have real world value over a long period of time, it's going to continue to rise against those things as well. And the flip side of that is that life gets cheaper, right? Things get more abundant, exactly as you were saying, when the money is fixed um, and people can save for the future uh, and they can do that. But like this, this idea of, oh, CPI is 8.6% and, um, and Bitcoin is crashing. Well, look at what is happening around the world. There's a global margin call, right? People are scrambling to come up with dollars to pay down the debt that they've accumulated over the last 30 years, essentially, that continues to be piled on year after year after year. And when that happens, as they say, correlations go to one, you've got to sell everything that's not nailed down to do that, right? Uh, to, to meet those uh, margin calls, so to speak. And so, you know, as central banks are tightening, as M2 is rolling over, as quantitative tightening, you know, starts its, its trek, maybe the Fed's behind the curve, maybe it's not, we'll see. But like, that's really what 
what Bitcoin is tracking. It's tracking the credibility of monetary policy in the real world. It's tracking the supply of of money as we use it, which is fiat, which is infinitely reproducible, and and they ain't shy about doing that. Um, and, and so to say that like this kind of government manipulated CPI number is something that should be directly correlated with with Bitcoin, I think is is the wrong way to look at it. Uh, and I think we've seen that right um, when the Fed is forced to pivot, when things start rolling over and we turn into a, a downturn, a recession, a depression, um, when this like deflationary impulse starts taking over in waves because they've stopped expanding the money, money supply because, um, you know, because they're trying to react to inflation, the, the tide is going to turn for these assets that are used as near money, as store of value, um, you know, because people are reacting to the fact that they're, they're printing money again, right? And when they're printing money again, you can't hold it because it rapidly uh, depreciates in value. So I think that's the best way to look at it. Yeah, no, I think that is a great way. I also like to think of the idea that like CPI is like kind of a, a backward looking metric. You know, the Fed is kind of it is. driving a car by looking in the rear view mirror, whereas markets, whether it's traditional finance with equity markets or, or Bitcoin, you know, they're, that's forward looking. We're, we're looking ahead. And, and people are trading based off what they think is going to happen in the future. And the Fed is try, trying, trying, to, trying to drive this car by looking in the rearview mirror, being aggressive, raising rates, whereas markets are saying, oh, wait, hold on. You know, Atlanta Fed has just revised their GDP estimates so again. Negative um, could potentially be in, in a recession right now. We don't even know. Um, but, you know, it's just kind of crazy times. Yeah, the, the inflation already happened, right? The inflation happened in 2020 and 2021. Right, the the classical definition of inflation is expansion of money supply. That happened in full force during those two years, right? As they were quote unquote fighting COVID. Um, now that expansion has stopped, things are rolling over, and and Bitcoin is kind of prophesying that, or has already done so by selling off. Um, it's it's leading the charge in terms of um, telling people what to expect from the actions of central bankers and governments who um, you know, need to run deficits in order to, uh, in, in order to fund all of the, the things that they want to fund. Uh, and, and the Federal Reserve, regardless of their intent um, or anything like that, they, they must be there to backstop that excessive spending that happens at the federal level. Uh, and they will because they have no other choice, right? Like their credibility is on the line. They're not going to let the, the US government um, go bankrupt or default on their debt in any explicit way. Um, and so they'll do it the implicit way by creating reserves, by monetizing that debt that is, is being pumped out there in times of stress in the economy. Yeah, 100%. So I'm, I know uh, Parker Lewis, famous, works at uh, Unchained Capital. He wrote a great series called the Gradually Then Suddenly series. Um, do you have a favorite piece from that? And if so, like which one is it? And what's like the general idea behind it? Um, I, I don't know that I have a favorite piece. Um, I, I think the one that that kind of hits home the most right now is Bitcoin is, is the great definancialization, right? Um, that's what we're living through. We're living through this kind of slow motion train wreck of the global economy um, being definancialized 
uh, after being refinancialized, after being definancialized, after being refinancialized, every single time that something starts to break, right? And so, you know, because the money is broken, everything is financialized. There's debt on top of debt on top of debt, as I said earlier, uh, and that creates this, you know, flywheel effect of really uh, seemingly good times that built on really unsteady foundations that inevitably must come crashing back to reality. Um, and when that happens, all of that financialization that's been built up, all of the DeFi yield stuff that has been out there, like sucking in um, naive people's hard-earned capital um, that they're excited about and that they feel like they have to move money out um, you know, out into risky assets because it's losing value every single day. Um, you can't just sit on cash, right? And so you have to move in the direction of, of financialized products. You have to buy stocks. You have to buy real estate. You have to buy art. You know, you have to buy Bitcoin. You have to buy, uh, you have to put your money into a 20% yielding DeFi thing that you have no idea where that yield is coming from. Because if you don't, you're guaranteed to lose value. Now, I, obviously, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek there, right? But um, but the point remains the same. All of that is a function of the, the fiat world, um, the financialization of the economy above and beyond actual savings and actual value creation and a growth of the capital stock over a long period of time. And it's all driven because the money is broken, right? And Bitcoin fixes that. Bitcoin allows you to... Um, to not take risk, right? To not go out and take market risk or liquidity risk or counterparty risk just to, to stay in the same place, right? Much less get ahead. Um, I, I came at my investing um, route through like the, the FIRE movement, right? It's, okay, I'm going to go to my job. I'm going to earn a paycheck. I'm going to take any excess money that I have and I'm going to plow it into the index, I'm going to plow it into the stock market index. And I'm just going to keep doing that day after day, year after year, until I get to a point where it's growing enough that it can, can um, offset my expenses. Well, guess what? Like, I'm not going in and analyzing the companies that are associated with that index. I'm not seeing if there's any like, you know, PE ratio above and beyond where that index is trading that I should be, um, you know, kind of managing that risk because I'm not looking at it in that way. When, when you think about it that way, you're using that as a store of value, right? It's not an investment. It's savings. It's a savings vehicle. It's being used as near money. And Bitcoin allows you to stop taking that risk, right? Get off of that fiat train, step into something that cannot be debased, that is built and engineered to gain value over a long period of time. Uh, obviously, this is young and we're in the process of monetizing and there's going to be volatility for sure. But over the long term, that 21 million, because it cannot be debased, allows you to save the, the fruits of your labor, all the hard work that you're doing. Um, Bitcoin respects that work. It respects that time right? By, by allowing you to save in something that can't be diluted. Um, and when people have that option, there's no need to funnel money 
toward stocks that have all of that excess risk. There's no need for Chinese billionaires to buy real estate uh, in the US that is illiquid, that they're never going to touch or live in, right? They can buy Bitcoin and they can hold their wealth. Um, they can get out of the country if they need to with 12 words in their head. Um, you know what I mean? It's you, you, you take away all this financialization when you have good money, when you have money that can't be debased, that can't be censored. Um, you're in a position, again, where you are, are, are taking a sovereign control over your wealth and over your family's financial future. That's what Bitcoin represents. Um, and, and, and Parker's um, great definancialization piece it just really hits home, right? It's like so timely for right now, even though it was written several years ago, uh, right? I think it was 2019, 2020. It's just so prescient. That's exactly what we're living through. We're living through Bitcoin replacing that terrible money that we're all forced to use uh, so that we can be in a position where we don't have to financialize our lives. Yeah. To me, it's so interesting how like most people go through like their working career, uh, you know, and obviously you know, it kind of makes sense to do this to some extent for tax purposes, but, you know, averaging into a 401k and you don't really even know what you're buying and people, you know, hold hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars in these things. And they have no idea what they're even investing in. And no idea. Fascinating. Yeah. These, these target date funds, it's like, okay, you're just going to have this algorithm out there. Right. Um, uh, you know, there, there's some people out there who argue that some of the ebb and flow of the markets are just related to like people just dumping money in their 401ks and these target date funds that buy bonds and sell stocks or sell stock, uh, buy stocks and sell bonds or whatever at this um, cadence that's associated with the age of the workforce, right? I mean, that makes sense to me. It, it's just out there, passive money um, that is just algorithmically enforced. Um, and they're doing that because you can't save in money. You can't take you can't take your wealth into your own hands in dollars um, and, and not have counterparty risk and market risk and liquidity risk that are associated with all these other assets like real estate and stocks and bonds and whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and I think like when, when people are averaging into say like SPY, which is just a, you know, an index of the top market capitalization companies in the US, it kind of destroys capital allocation a little bit where people literally just keep buying the largest company companies over and over and over again. And there's not much creative destruction where, you know, if maybe one of these companies is operating poorly, that may not be revealed in the actual price of, of their shares. Yeah, that's a, it's a really great point. There's also, you know, a, a argument around, look, people who have the opportunity to start saving in um, by, by buying stocks and just buying the index and continuing to do that, they, they intuitively know that the money doesn't work. They may not understand why. They may not understand like the mechanism by which their dollar loses value, but they know enough to recognize that if they just hold on to it, it's going to melt away, right? It's that melting ice cube uh, metaphor that Michael Saylor uses. But, but in doing so, they're continually kind of building wealth or saving their wealth there. And there are a lot of people who don't have that opportunity. They don't have the um, the, the education, um, or they don't, they, they just haven't been exposed to the ability of being able to save by using stocks, right? People around the world don't have access 
necessarily to the U.S. stock market that that has produced you know eight to ten percent returns in in dollar nominal terms over the last hundred years or whatever. Um, they don't have access to that, right? They they use dollars that some government far away is able to print and that they have no control over the value for, right? So what's their option? They don't really have one until Bitcoin comes along. When they have Bitcoin, they can start to put money away in something that can't be debased. We're, we're kind of seeing what that happened or what that looks like in El Salvador and, and some of the other countries that are, are, are starting to adopt this. Um, there's definitely volatility involved again, right? Like we're seeing that, but, but that doesn't change the fact that they have a mechanism available to them that they didn't otherwise have, which is the ability to put something aside to save and accumulate capital um, and, uh, and, and save for their future in something that can't be debased, that can't be controlled by somebody else, that can't be taken away from them summarily, right? Summar summary execution of your finances. <laughs> that can't happen with Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I've always thought it was interesting too how you mentioned like, U.S. stocks or U.S. equities, like traditionally, you know, if you go back long enough, they kind of pull in that seven to eight percent annualized return. But to some extent, like there's kind of a survivorship bias around around U.S. equities in particular, right? Like if you were in, uh, you know, German equities or Chinese equities, like you know, you probably didn't do as nearly as well as you were in, in U.S. equities. So it's like, and some of them had wipeouts. Like if you were in German equities during the Weimar hyperinflation, that didn't work out well for you, obviously. So it's kind of like, you don't even know if this seven to 8% is guaranteed for the next 50 years because things change. And like Ray Dahlia's brought up, you know, like the changing of the guard where like, you know, other countries or, you know, entities, maybe it's Bitcoin uh, comes up and, you know, really uh, changes things. Yeah, that, that's a really great point. Um, the U.S. has definitely, obviously has been the leader in the world for the last hundred years and and maybe more, right? And, and has been... Um, done very well relative to, to other countries. Um, you know, as, as things start to escalate in terms of this financialization and definancialization pendulum, um, it becomes harder and harder for businesses to value, uh, value themselves, value their, uh, their producers and, and, um, you know, the source of their inventory, um, value their cash flows. It becomes really hard to predict the future when you have no idea what the money is going to be worth from year to year. When you've got these inflation expectations that are wildly swinging, right? It's almost, you, you, you might almost rather have like a steady 2% uh, erosion of your value rather than like 8% up one year and 8% down the next year. Like that's way harder to predict than a steady 2%. So I get why some people think like that's a good way to go, but you know what's really easy to predict is zero. Zero percent terminal inflation, that's really easy to measure against, right? Like you need that anchor point of, um, of the, the way to measure economic value, the way to tell if there are actually supply and demand issues that are in the economy, right? Like everybody argues right now, oh, is it, demand driven from the money printing or are there supply chain issues? Is it Russia's fault? Like it's so difficult to discern what's happening when your measuring stick is constantly changing in value. Typically it's, you know, the, if you think of like a measuring stick and you got the notches on there, like those constantly get closer together, closer together, but the, the nominal values on those notches 
stays the same. How are you supposed to build a house with a measuring stick that is constantly having the, the measuring uh, notches on there, getting closer together? Uh, by the way, with like wild widening happening every once in a while, um, which is, you know, essentially what's happening right now with the dollar uh, as it's inflated, 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 and then deflated, right? Like all this debt just piles up and then you get this cascading effect. Uh, how are you supposed to run a business over the long term? How are you supposed to make capital investments for the long term when you can't even, you can't even predict what's going to happen over the next year because things are so volatile? Yeah, 100%. Random uh, question that I just thought of since it is, you know, 4th of July weekend, uh, you know, Independence Day, I feel like there's a lot of similarities between, you know, what Bitcoin is and, and the freedom that it brings to the individual and like the founding of, of America. Do you have any quick thoughts on that? Um, Bitcoin is global, right? It provides that same spirit of independence and freedom to everybody around the world who chooses to adopt it. That being said, like it is very much aligned with traditional American values of individualism, of libertarianism, right? I told you that's kind of the direction that I came from on here uh, around like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and um, putting in work, right? Proof of work to make sure that you can provide for your family, that you can build for the future, uh, and that you can do so without interference from outside parties from the government, right? Um, Bitcoin solidifies those values in the way that you handle your finances, right? It solidifies the ability for you to act independently for yourself, for you to declare monetary independence from the powers that be that would otherwise seek to control the way that you spend your money and the value that your money has and the investments that you're able to make right? And the wars that are being fought around the globe that you may object to, but have no, um, no way of, of opting out of because your money is being debased to fund it, right? And so all of those values, in my opinion, they align perfectly with the way that Bitcoin approaches the world, which is the individual first responsibility um, and, and, you know, building a, a world that where you can rely on other people and that you have like this inherent trust because you don't have to trust people. It's, it's like this weird dichotomy of being able to, um, to know, hey, my money's good, your money's good, we can exchange these things and we don't have to like develop this distrust for one another um, and this like bifurcation of our values that is, is really driven in large part by all of this, this financialization and all of this impairment of the money uh, on the world. So I, I hope that's, <laughs> I hope that makes sense, but uh, that, that's kind of how I view it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Bitcoin is, is freedom technology. Absolutely. Um, one last question. Then well, we'll, well said and way more succinct. <laughs> one last question. Then we'll wrap this up. This one's a little, a little bit of a different question, but you know, I feel like some people might like it. So I'm curious to know like what your thoughts are. Like, what do you think the future of private key ownership is like in the long term? Like, will it always be like these physical hardware devices, whether it's a, a ledger or treasure, or is it, like in a weird way, is it possible that there may be a way to like generate and embed private keys inside something like a, 
a Neuralink like inside your brain where humans can like consciously but voluntarily sign transactions? I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Um, so I, I think that Bitcoin succeeds as and when people are able to hold their own keys and do so in a way that scales, right? Um, Unchained is here to help people realize the possibility that they can hold their own keys, that they can take control of their wealth. And we're here to support you as part of that. I don't see a world where Bitcoin um, thrives, where the majority of it is held in Coinbase. That can just be, again, like summarily executed by the powers that be who decide you have the wrong opinion on something. Um, I don't see a world where Bitcoin is, uh, creates the, the type of environment that we want to see create. Like that's not success to me. Um, so it's imperative that we drive the importance of private key uh, ownership of your Bitcoin um, you know, as this asset, as this monetary network continues to grow, we have to keep pounding the table on that and keep making it easier for people to do that. It's way easier than it has ever been. And we just need to keep working on that. Um, Neuralink and embedding private keys in your brain, um, that all sounds possible to me. Um, this, the next question is, is that a good idea? I don't know. Um, you know, there's something about having a physical backup for your private keys that can't be tampered with in the same way as humans can be tampered with. And perhaps there's a way that you have Neuralink chip or whatever in your brain, and maybe that's one key as part of a multi-sig, but um, I don't know that I would trust the fact that your brain is connected to the internet. Like you basically just have hot keys in your head, right? Um, so I, I wouldn't think of that as like the sole way that you control your Bitcoin, but maybe there's there's a world where that does play some some part in it. You know, if you want to keep um, your your spending money in terms of Bitcoin in your head and just like kind of what would you do? Like lean your forehead forward uh, onto the chip reader or something like that, right? Or you just you think the thoughts. I want this Bitcoin to move. Signs with the the private keys. Great. Um, I'm not sure. I. Um, I'm not sure I would be comfortable with having my, the entirety of my wealth uh, just stored in my brain. That could be manipulated in any number of ways. Uh, I might just fall and hit my head and my Neuralink thing like just flashes and I lose all my Bitcoin. Um, that, that wouldn't be good, but maybe for like pocket change. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Well, write, write down your seed phrases, everybody. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. Physical seed phrases, uh, use multi-sig come talk to us, right? Like we're here to help you to, to make this easy for you so that you can secure that Bitcoin in the best possible way so that you don't have that single point of failure so that um, you can get the support you need from experts. Um, the, the people at Unchained are absolutely like ridiculously sharp. They know their stuff. They will help you get to that place where you are, are really comfortable and really confident in the way that you are managing your Bitcoin wealth um, and then be there for you to support you going forward. Whenever you have questions, whenever you, um, you know, you and your family approach that inheritance scenario where that Bitcoin needs to pass on, um, you know, having somebody to, to walk you through those scenarios and be there to guide you um, is, is just hugely valuable. Um, you know, do the right thing, hold your own keys, do it in multi-sig 
and, and let us help. Like we're here to do that. Yeah. hundred percent. Trey, where can people find you after this show, after they listen, they watch it on YouTube, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, cool. Uh, hit me up on Twitter. Um, uh, at TS underscore hodl. Um, go to Unchained's uh, website, uh, unchained.com slash consultation. Um, free consultation. You can talk to you know me or, or somebody on our team uh, to, to really dig into the details of how our platform works and, and um, how we can help you to, to secure your Bitcoin, the financial services that we offer. We have IRAs. Um, we are rolling out actively the ability to, to buy Bitcoin directly in our platform. Um, we have Bitcoin back loans uh, and more, the, more to come over the, over the course of the next few years, right? Um, that, that once you're in our ecosystem, you'll, you'll have access to. So, um, you know, happy to talk about this. Um, we have a whole team here to support our clients, make sure they get that, uh, that support that they need. And um, yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, hope we can do it again soon. Awesome. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on the show and enjoyed it as well. Thanks everybody. 